So we're in John chapter 5, if you want to turn there. John chapter 5, as we continue on um, going through God's word here and going through our study in the gospel of John. Now what's interesting is that we've been seeing uh, Jesus come in Jerusalem again for one of the feasts. He meets, sees, heals a man that was... uh, you know, crippled and invalid for 38 years. This man had been waiting to be made well. He was there at the pools of Bethesda when Jesus comes in. And Jesus comes to this man and makes him well. But then that created a bit of controversy. Because remember, Jesus said, pick up your mat, walk, and, and go. And as he's carrying his mat, well, it's on the Sabbath. And the religious leaders are all looking at this going, well, you're breaking the Sabbath. You can't carry a mat or do any work on the Sabbath. It started to create a bit of a controversy. But Jesus comes now and he begins to deal with these guys and lets them know that, listen, my father has been working until now. And I am also doing that. And Jesus begins to show himself equal with the father. And that, again, started to ruffle feathers, not only because Jesus is healing on the south, but now he's making himself equal with the Father. Well, we begin to see how that continues on here now in chapter 5, verse 24. We're going to be looking at a few different things in these few verses we're going to cover this morning. We're going to see that Jesus is equal to God in life, verses 24 to 25. Jesus is equal to God in judgment, verses 26 to 27. And Jesus is equal to God in works, verses 28 to 30. So again, Jesus is just kind of revealing and showing this equality that he has and and what God has given to the Son here. So now, it tells us in verse 24, let me read this. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Now, that term that we are hit with right away, most assuredly, that's an important term. All right, Jesus is looking to really grab his his, uh, hears attention, basically. That's a term that was used to really say truly or verily. And so Jesus is, in a sense, saying truly, truly. In other words, he's saying, I want you to catch this. I want this, what I'm about to say, to really sink in for you to understand what I'm saying. Because this is a great truth claim that Jesus is giving. This is a great statement that he wants his his audience to, to capture and receive. Most assuredly, that term is used some 25 times in the Gospel of John. Only time that's used is in the Gospel of John. Most assuredly. Truly, truly, or very, very, verily, verily. Jesus is saying, I want this to be understood. And so this is important stuff because what we're seeing here is we're talking about life and death. All right? That's why Jesus says, I want you to grasp this. Because this is a matter of life and death right now for you. And it's important stuff for us to, to hear and to see. So what Jesus is saying here in verse 24 is that those that hear what he is saying and believe in the one who has sent him, well, these are the people that have everlasting life. You have everlasting life. Now, that's huge, isn't it? And notice Jesus doesn't say that those who hear my words and believe in the one who sent me will have eternal life. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, has eternal life. In other words, that this is something to be realized and grasped and experienced right now. This is not just a future thing that we are to look forward to. This is something that is to be enjoyed and lived out right now. You see, when we give our lives to Jesus, we're not just buying fire insurance. That's what some people think, right? Oh, you're just trying to secure things for a a future time. You're just buying fire insurance. That's not what it is with Jesus. 
Oh, I'm thankful that I have fire insurance. I'm thankful that I know where I'm going when I die. That's all secure in Jesus. But, but he says, you will have or you have eternal life. In other words, he's saying this is a present reality that you can be enjoying right now. That when we receive Jesus, we receive a quality of life that you're not going to have elsewhere. Remember when Jesus met the woman at the well. He says, listen, you're going to have to keep coming back to the well. But the water that I give you is going to just continue to spring up in you. It's going to be lasting. You'll never have to come back. You'll never have to drink this water again because what I'm going to give you is lasting. You see, we can run oftentimes to the sources of this world to try to be happier, to try to find life. But it's only in Jesus that you're going to find the abundant, the true, the real life, the satisfying life, the fulfilling life. Because it's life everlasting, but it begins the moment that we receive Jesus. And we get to enjoy a quality of life that you're not going to find anywhere else. I'm grateful for that. So Jesus makes that clear to us here now. And Jesus gives us a few prerequisites for those that are going to experience that life now. He says, first of all, it's those that hear his words. Now, that might seem like a pretty easy thing to us, right? Hear his words. Well, yeah, we hear his words. We, we go through God's word. We hear that all the time. But to hear his word is more about being a doer of his word. That's what is more rightly implied. You all, you know, hear me on any given Sunday. But to walk out of here and actually remember what was said is another thing altogether, right? You parents know exactly what I'm talking about because you can talk to your blue in the face to your kids and you can line up all these things that you want them to do and they're, they're hearing you. But chances of those things actually getting done are pretty slim. Amen, parents? You're hearing me, right? I hope so. It's true that, man, we can hear things so often, but the question is, are, is that what we're hearing really settling in, taking root, being understood and being lived out now? That's what Jesus is implying here. This is something that is to move us on into action. That's what Jesus says. He hears my words. In other words, you take it in, and now it's starting to take root in a way where it's leading you on into action in carrying out those words and those truths. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Are the words of Jesus having that effect in your life? Do we hear things like, I love your neighbor or, or die to self and go, oh, those are great maxims. I think I'll maybe try that out one day. Or are we saying, man, that's what Jesus has to do? And I'm going to put that into action. I'm going to put that into practice. I'm going, I want to live that out because if Jesus is calling us to do that, then I know that's going to be for my benefit and my blessing. I want to put that into action. So first of all, prerequisite to enjoying that life now, he says, he who hears my word. Secondly, he says there in verse 24, it's those that believe in him who sent me. So if we're going to experience that abundant life, we have to first of all believe in God. Believe in the one who sent Jesus. That's speaking of God the Father. Now, there are many people that have that kind of belief in God or about God. There are many people that, that have that kind of idea like, oh, sure, I believe there's a God out there, and you know, or this, this higher power or, or something. And they believe, but, but it's just kind of a, a belief in, in kind of a belief almost. It's just sort of a belief about God, but not truly believing in God and what he's done. You see, Jesus says, it's believing in him who sent me. So it's understanding that 
I'm going to believe in a God that has a plan of salvation lined up for me. And it's only through one person. It's through Jesus Christ, the one that he has sent. See, we can all have beliefs about God that fit more into what we want to interpret about God. You'll run into people all the time that will say things like, you know, well, I believe that when I die uh, or, or when anybody dies, you know, we all just go to heaven because God's a, a loving God. He'll just forgive everybody. Well, that's not what the Bible says. What they've done, they fashioned a God into their desire and their interest. They've created an idol in a sense. They haven't what, did what Jesus did and says, believed in the one who sent me. Why did God send Jesus? He sent Jesus to die on a cross to forgive this world of their sin. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. There's only one way to experience that life. The Bible is through Jesus. It's through believing in what God did that God knows what is needed. There's no alternative. That's not one way. It's the way. It's only through Jesus that we have life. And it's believing that God has set that up, established that, sent his son into the world to accomplish what we can accomplish for ourselves. So forgiveness of sin and salvation in him. So Jesus lays out these prerequisites. Now, typically, it's interesting because typically the emphasis oftentimes is on believing in Jesus. But Jesus has been making a case against the religious leaders that he is equal with God. So Jesus declares that we must believe in God and believe in the one he sent which is Jesus. So believing in Jesus is believing in God. Believing in God is believing in Jesus. They're one. They're together. It's like a, it's like a package deal in a sense. Jesus is showing this equality with the Father. You've got to believe in God. And believing God is to believe in Jesus. Now again, this idea of, uh, of believing. Believing, that's a big one. We throw that word around. We can believe for a lot of things, you know. I can believe that my wife is going to give me, you know, a nice massage when I get home after church today. Doesn't mean it's going to happen. In fact, the odds of that happening are very slim. I could believe it all I want. It's not going to happen. Maybe if some of you encourage her, that might um, help. But we can believe for a lot of things doesn't mean it's going to happen. But this idea here now is to believe. It's not just kind of having this idea and just going, well, sure, I believe that there's a God out there somewhere. Well, no, it, it means to put your complete faith and trust in Jesus, in the Lord, in God, and in what he's done and accomplished for us. That's the whole purpose why this book is being written, isn't it? Because John said back in, or he says in John 20, verse 31, that that. This book is written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, you may have life in his name. That believing, you may have life in his name. So believing is more than just kind of having some wishful thinking and just sort of seeing, you know, well, it might just kind of... It's, it's putting your trust in Jesus. As, as we mentioned Many times, believing is more than just that intellectual assent. This is about putting your whole trust in what God has provided for us in His Son, Jesus Christ, for salvation. Let me illustrate it like this. Some of you maybe have heard about this man, Charles Blondin, who was a famous French tightrope walker going all the way back to 1859. In fact, Charles Blondin became the first man in history to walk on a tightrope across Niagara Falls. 
And over 25,000 people gathered to watch him walk 1,100 feet suspended on a tiny rope 160 feet above the raging waters below. And he would do all this without a safety net or a harness of any kind. So Charles Blundin would do this feat many times. He'd walk across sometimes... uh, you know, adding more and more of a daring feat to it every time. Sometimes walking across in a sack or on stilts, on a bicycle, in the dark, even while blindfolded. One time, he even carried, it was reported, might need to check Snopes on that, don't quote me, but it was reported that he carried a stove across on the tightrope and cooked an omelet for himself on that stove while going across on the tightrope because you might as well kill two birds with one stone. You get tired or, or so you get hungry while doing tightrope walking, right? Might as well make a little snack for you while you're dangling over the Niagara Falls, right? So what Charles Blondin did. One time, he brought a wheelbarrow across on the tightrope filled with potatoes. And he got to the other side. He said, does anybody believe that I can carry a man across on a tightrope? Everybody said, yeah, we believe you can do it. Oh, you've already... Who wants to get in? <laughs> Nobody volunteered. In fact, one time, as he's going through, and here's some newspaper article one time as he's walking across he again another day new crowds and he walks across and and the crowds are just cheering and roaring and ah blondie you're amazing and he gets across and he asked again who believes that i can walk back across there and he said yeah no problem who believes i can walk back across with a man on my back and he said yeah we can do it and then he once again he asked who wants to volunteer to be that person silence just over the whole crowd. Nobody wanted to do it, of course, right? He asked one man, will you be a volunteer on my back? And the man said, no way, I can't risk my life to do that. And then Blondine asked his manager here who was with him, Harry, um, Harry Colcord. He said, Harry, do you believe I can walk across the man on my back? And Harry said, yeah, I believe you can do it. Will you be that volunteer? And Harry said, yes, I'll do it. So Harry jumped on Charles Blondine's back. And Charles Blundin piggybacked him across on that tightrope back across Niagara Falls. Got safely across to the other side. See, there are lots of things I'm sure that we can say that we believe Jesus for. But the question is, have we put that belief into action? Have we taken that step to say, I'm not just doing this with an intellectual assent or just verbally passing on uh, a flippant kind of, I believe. Have you taken a step to say, I'm going to attach myself to Jesus. I'm going to cling to Jesus and trust him to bring me from death into life. Putting my faith in him. Am I going to allow him to do that work for me? Am I going to trust him to go all out? You see, the one that does has everlasting life. The one that puts their faith in Jesus. It, it says here in verse 24 that they avoid judgment. I think, I think one reason people are robbed of life is because they keep bringing themselves into condemnation. It happens when we think we have something to do with our salvation. When we begin to think, I've got to earn it. I've got to do it. We have to try carrying all this guilt and shame and think that by our good works we're going to overcome or, or hope to outweigh all of our negatives. But, you see, the person that's put their faith and trust in what Jesus has done for them has life. It says they avoid judgment, they pass from death to life. That's an amazing thing. Passing from death to life. I've passed from a rock to a hard place. I've passed from mediocrity to satisfactory. But passing from death to life, 
That's something that is a complete polar opposite. That is huge. And it was a work that only Jesus could do. That we could only receive by believing and trusting in him. You see, we were all in that condition apart from Christ. Where we were dead in our sin. We were separated from God. Unable to pass over from what Jesus says, from death to life. As much as we've tried. Let me illustrate this way. And you've seen this illustration, I'm sure, before. Many of you have. If you haven't, then this is going to be worth it for you. And this is a way that you can easily communicate just the gospel message to people. Whether you're sitting in a restaurant with somebody, in a coffee shop. Take a napkin. You can draw this out for people here. But understand that God has created us to be in a relationship with him. That's what God's desire right from the beginning is to invite us into the fellowship that the Trinity was a part of right from the very beginning so that we could have fellowship with him. But there was a problem. You see, there was a chasm between us and God that was caused because of our sin. It's illustrated in Romans 6, 23, where it says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And there's some key words there for us in that verse, wages and sin. And that leads to death. That was the problem. That's why we were unable to reach God. It's because of our sin that we were all born into. And notice that that verse doesn't say, you know, the wages of sins. It's singular. It's sin. Every single one of us have been guilty of sin because we were born into that. Through Adam and Eve who sinned, rebelled against God. And we were all born into that, you see. Every single one of us have been paying these wages, the, the cost, the, the, the payment for that sin is death. Unable to reach God. And you see, we try oftentimes, we keep trying to reach God by good works. We say, I'm going to go to church. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to earn my way through religion. I'm going to be a, a good person. I'm going to love others and be benevolent. We try all these things that we think are going to cause us to reach God. But what happens is that they keep coming up short. Keep coming up short. We can't do it. We can't earn that level or standard of righteousness in order to, to be with God. But here's where the good news comes in is that God has done something. Because he knows our fate. He knows our situation apart from him. That we can't do it. But God's done something for us. And there, in that verse in Romans 6.23, it's that great word. But. But. Here we see that the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. And you can just kind of put a line diagonal from wages. We see wages on our side. But then it's a gift from God. It's free. It's by his grace. Where we were at sin, God steps in and overcomes that sin. Where we were facing death, God comes and he brings life to us. But how do we receive that? Sounds good. How do we get there? There's this chasm that we can't cross in and of ourselves. It takes faith in Jesus Christ. That's what this verse is talking about here. It takes believing in Jesus, faith in Jesus Christ. And when a person doesn't just believe, but like what happened with with Charles Blondine and his manager getting on his back, when we come and put our faith in Jesus, that moves us into action to say, I'm going to repent of my sin and put my trust in you, Jesus, and hold on to you, then guess what? We receive eternal life. 
and we get brought into a right relationship and standing with God. It's not because of our works, because of our efforts. It's through Jesus Christ. And it was all accomplished for us through the cross at Calvary. Jesus Christ has allowed us, bridged that gap to allow us to pass from death to life. And it's through faith in Him. And Him alone, you see. It took Jesus to carry us across. He paid for your sin. He removed the debt that kept you from crossing over. And it's by putting your trust in Him that we can cross over from death to life. It goes on to say here in John's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 25, Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Jesus says that we've entered into a period of time now where with his arrival, him coming to this world, those that are dead are going to be made alive. Now, that happened on occasion during Jesus' ministry when he come alongside like people like Lazarus or Jairus' daughter and actually raised people from the dead. But they were raised from the dead having to face death once more, all right? But there's coming a time where he's going to do a greater work. But what Jesus is talking about here in this verse, I believe not just a, a, a physical, he's talking about a spiritual work here, where he's bringing people out from spiritual death and deadness into life in him. He's talking about those that are dead in their sin. And again, that was the case for all of us. But it says those who hear the voice of Jesus, again by hearing, speaking of believing in faith, those that hear the voice of Jesus will live. It tells us in Ephesians 2. And you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit and now works in the sons of disobedience. Let me move down to verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. That's that free gift. The gift of God is by grace. You don't earn it. It's not by going to church. It's not by being a good person. It's by the grace of God. He gives it to you unmerited. In other words, you didn't deserve it. You're not worthy of it. But it's grace he gives to you to save you. And those that will respond, they'll repent to their sin put their faith in Jesus and receive Jesus as their Savior, they come alive. They receive this life. Those that hear, the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Colossians 2.13 says, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses. You've been made alive through Jesus Christ. There was a man that was driving down a road and at the last minute a rabbit ran out from the side of the road and the man tried to swerve but he ended up hitting this rabbit. Felt so bad. He jumped out of his car and he went on the rabbit to see if he was still alive and the rabbit had died and he was just so sad. And at that time another car pulled up behind him and a woman jumped out and the man began to report on what had happened and the woman said, I think I've got something I can do to help. She ran to the trunk of her car and she grabbed a can of spray came over the rabbit and sprayed this rabbit with this spray. And the rabbit all of a sudden jumped back up to life and started to hop away and would stop and look back and wave at the couple. It would hop a little bit further and stop and wave back at the couple. And the man was just so shocked 
at all this happening. He wondered, how did this happen? And he asked the woman, what was in that spray can? That's incredible. The woman turned the can around so the man could read the label and said, hairspray restores life to dead hair, adds permanent wave. (laughs) All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. All right. That's a charity clap going on over there. I know it. Don't worry about it. It's all good. See, <laughs> we're, we're not just given something, you know, that's a, a little remedy for a temporary thing. Jesus has the power and the ability to give life because life is found in him. Notice what we read next here. This is important. Verse 26. Here's what we read. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. See, only God has life in himself. We have life, right? We have life now, but it's not in and of ourselves. It's not inherent with us. We needed two people to come together and bring life to us. More so, we needed God, who's the author of all life. But with God, life is in him, it's, he's the life. It's not granted to him. And it's the same with Jesus. So he's granted the son to have life in himself. To where we read that he is the way, the truth, and the, the life. Not a life. The life. It's all wrapped up in him. If you're going to experience and enjoy the abundant, blessed life, then you need to be found in Jesus. And you need to trust what he's done to accomplish that. It's not found in ourselves. It's in Jesus. He's the one and the only one that's able to give life because that life is found in him. Understand that well today here. When we are in Jesus, we are connected to the very source of life. Whatever you're in need of, Jesus has the power to create and renew life in you. And Jesus has been given the authority now to to judge. These are two qualities that only can be found in the Godhead. To have life in themselves and to judge. Because only Jesus can do this well. (laughs) Only Jesus can judge authoritatively but accurately. And notice it says here that because he's the son of man. That's an important title for Jesus. Yeah, we know as we read through the Gospels, he's the son of God. Yes, we understand that. He's part of the, the Trinity, the Godhead. All right? And so we see that, that he's a member of the, of the Trinity, but he's the son of man in that he's become a member of humanity. Jesus came and he walked among us as us. He clothed himself in, in, in humanity. He went through the things that we go through. He can judge humanity because he belongs to it and he understands it tells us in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And because of that, like I said, his judgment now is completely fair and accurate. He knows our very hearts and our motives, so his judgment is, is always going to be right on. Our judgment is oftentimes flawed because we don't know the heart where people are coming from. We don't know the whole picture. That's why we need to leave the judging to Jesus. We mess up when we try to take that role. 
But Jesus, the Son of Man, He knows our, our weaknesses, our frailties. He knows how to accurately come alongside us in judgment that's filled with mercy here as we see in, in Hebrews 2. He does all things well. Well, lastly here, verse 28, we've seen that Jesus is equal to God in life. He's equal to God in judgment. Lastly here, He's equal to God in works. Look at verse 26. Do not marvel at this. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I love that Jesus says, do not marvel at this, right? It's as though he's saying, oh, you guys haven't seen anything yet. Don't get so excited about just the fact that I've brought life spiritually to people that are living now. You wait, because one day I'm going to bring life to those that are dead. Don't marvel at this, man. You see, with Jesus, we, we should never, ever be surprised. We oftentimes get caught marveling. And, and I understand, yeah, we should marvel because God is so good. But we should never be surprised. Because God is God. Jesus is amazing. He does great things. And life in Him, let me just say, is just going to keep getting better and better. Because one day, we're going to be a part of a resurrection. Where we're going to receive glorified eternal bodies fit for heaven this is going to be great but notice here Jesus says there's coming a time when those who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation now that word resurrection in the Greek is the word anastasis and it means to to, to stand up to, to rise up basically so we're talking about a, a literal, physical resurrection. It's a transformation of the body into its final spiritual state. Remember when Jesus was resurrected. He had a, a physical body people could touch and handle. But it was a body that wasn't limited to physical things. He could move from one spot to the next quickly. He could go through a, a, a locked door and all of a sudden be in the room. I mean, I just can't wait to get this glorified body. It's just not going to be limited by physical things, but yet we're going to have a physical body. It's just going to be amazing. It's exciting. And this wasn't a new concept for for the Jew, this idea about a resurrection, because it had been alluded to in the Old Testament. Daniel, the prophet, alluded to it in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, where he said, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. So Daniel knew of a resurrection that was going to come, where there'd be people that'd be resurrected, some to eternal life, some to, you know, everlasting contempt or damnation. Daniel had in view two directions of the resurrection. But what we see is we begin to go through God's word a little bit more fully with a complete picture is that it's not two directions, but it's actually two occasions, two timings of the resurrection. There's the first resurrection, that the Bible talks about, and then there's the second resurrection that the Bible talks about. First resurrection began with Jesus Christ. It tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. Let me just stop right there because remember how we alluded to that illustration where I said that by one man sin entered into the world and we were all guilty of sin. And some of you might go, that's just unfair. Why should I have to be guilty because of another man's mistakes? Well, God allowed sin to be infused in the whole human race because of one man, so that by then one man, he could bring a cure. 
and bring forgiveness through one man's works. By one man's works, we were all impacted by sin, but also by one man's works. We are all set free by that sin or from that sin by faith in him. Man, that's a good deal, I'll tell you. I'll take that deal. By man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits afterward, those who are Christ at his coming. So the first resurrection is not an event, singularly one time. It's an order of the resurrection, including all the righteous who are raised from the dead and taking place before the millennial kingdom of God is established. So that first resurrection is really taking place over 2,000 years. It's still in process. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be happening, you know, at the rapture, uh, during the tribulation, the tribulation saints being raised up. But then after the tribulation, and after the millennium, there's going to be what's called the second resurrection, also called the second death. And that's where all those that have died previously without faith in Jesus are also going to be resurrected. And they're going to be given bodies that are fit for eternity. However, sadly, it's not eternity in heaven. Jesus says it. It's to the resurrection of condemnation. Where they're going to sit and suffer the consequences of rejecting Jesus and that free gift of salvation. They never put their trust in Jesus. They never repented of their sin and believed in Jesus. And they're going to spend eternity with a sad, sad consequence. Now, when you read verse 29, it can almost seem like it's promoting this works idea gospel that many people fall prey to, thinking that i got to earn my way. Because it says there that those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. But we're not talking about our works that save us or that get us to God. In fact, one time with Jesus, there were those that came to him and said, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. That you believe. So what Jesus is referring to here is the good work is the work of believing in Jesus. And those that have believed in Jesus have done the good work. They put their trust in him and they've allowed him to be their savior and the one that forgives them of their sin. Those people go to the resurrection of life. Those that have not done that work, they've rejected Jesus. They've not received him. That's the evil work. And the alternative is that they will spend eternity reaping the consequences of having rejected Jesus. Please don't make that mistake here today. God is calling somebody right now to receive Jesus. Pick up that phone and answer that. Let's close with verse 30 here. I can of myself do nothing as I hear. I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. See, Jesus does all things in accordance to the Father. His judgment is completely righteous as his power now is wrapped up in his submission to the Father. So his judgment is just because the desire for self-glory never taints that judgment. 
It's completely removed. He does the will of the Father. The Son's will is totally to advance the Father's will. And I pray that that will be the same for us. See, we may not be saved by good works, but Jesus says, you know, that we are created um, for good works. Ephesians 2.10. We are His workmanship, created for good works. And I pray that because we understand that, man, we have life in Him. Not just a future life, but we have the blessed life now, the abundant life. A quality of life that you won't find anywhere. It's all wrapped up in Jesus. And if we grasp that and understand that, I pray that we will be those that are committed right now to say, yeah, I want to live my life to serve my Father in heaven, to glorify Him, completely remove myself of any self-glory. I want my life to exist for the purpose of God. And when we do that, that's when you really begin to, again, just enjoy life. You can't enjoy life when you're living it for yourself. Now, we've heard many people today share these testimonies of their time in Mexico, and I'll tell you, and they, they return blessed. They, they don't, nobody returns blessed. Or nobody returns, come out home saying, man, that, uh, why did I, that was a real waste of time. I actually went and helped people. Man, I wish I stayed home and just sunbathed instead. Nobody says that. They return excited because they had the privilege of, of serving God and being used of God. There's a blessing when we say, man, I'm not living for myself. I want to live to advance the Father's will. There's a blessing that comes in that. I pray we would do that. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up right now. We're going to close with a song as we just take some time to just meditate on these things and respond to the Lord and seek Him and ask what He wants to put in our hearts here today. But a couple of things that we can just weigh on here. First of all, have you experienced that passing over from death to life? Because Jesus has come that you may experience that life not just in a future sense, but that you may know that life now. Do you know that life? Are you living that life that Jesus has for you? The abundant life? The blessed life? If not, take some time right now and ask God to renew that in you. Say, Jesus, I want to I be living that life that you have for me. We get away from it so easily because we begin to focus on self. So ask the Lord to renew that joy of our salvation. Bring us back to the simplicity of just knowing that we're saved. Because of what he's done. And that, and that alone. Secondly, have you listened and responded to the voice of Jesus today? What is he calling you to do? What does he have for you? Have you taken time just even out of busy schedules just to sit down and say, Lord, speak to me. Where you just open the word and just allow God to just have his word just planted in your heart. Taking things that you just are are living out that day. Ask the Lord just to continue to speak in your heart and that we'll be not just hearers, but doers of that word here today. Let's stand together. Let's sing this last song, but let's just take this time to just really go to the Lord and ask Him to do that work in our hearts and lives.